0: Father, you are amazing. And we praise you. We are here for you, and it's not the other way around. We want to bring you glory. We want to put a smile on your face. We want to just fit into that plan that you have for us. And so we invite you to come and send your Holy Spirit and help us help us to hear your word help us to know how good you are and that you are a promise keeping god we pray these things in Jesus name amen if you have a bible normally we give away bibles but i don't think we brought any i'm not sure but uh turn to hebrews chapter 6 we're going through the book of hebrews verse by verse and we're at verses 13 through 20 And this is the promise-keeping God. A few years back, we bought, uh, my wife and I bought a Kirby vacuum cleaner. Okay, yes, we caved into the salesman's pressure. And uh, we like it. It's a good vacuum cleaner. You know, it was good. Well, just a few months back, they called us and said they just wanted to show us their appreciation for our buying that Kirby vacuum cleaner. And I knew I had, okay, that's, that means they want to sell me something else. It, but they said, and we're not going to try to, you know, push you to buy anything else. We really do just want to show you our appreciation. And we want to come, because we do have this new machine. We want to come and we want to clean your entire tile floor and your oven. So I was like, okay, but I'm not buying anything. I told him that, okay? He said, no, we're not trying to push anything. We just, we're going to come, we're going to clean your entire tile floor and your oven. And so they came, and when, they, when the guy got there, he looked at our tile floor. He did not realize we have a lot of tile. And, I, <laughs> and the first thing he says when he sets up his machine, he says, now I'm not going to clean this whole floor. You know, I mean that was the whole reason I invited him to come over. I, I thought I'm, i I because I told him I'm not gonna buy anything, but if you want to clean my floor, that sounds fine with me. And then he tells me I'm not gonna clean your floor. In fact, he in fact he only cleaned a like this block right here, and that's about it. Just a little portion of our floor just to show us how much how well this thing did. It was a steam cleaner kind of a thing and, and then he didn't clean the, the oven either. He he cleaned just one little portion of the oven. And I told him, I said, you told me you were coming over to do this just to show your appreciation. And I told you I did not want to buy anything. Otherwise, I would not have had you come over. He got mad at me. Well, okay. Have you ever been lied to? Um, Have you ever been a victim of a promise unkept? Unkept? Sometimes they're inconvenient, like the guy that wasted my time. Sometimes it hurts deep. Karl Marx, founder of communism, said, religion is the opium of the masses, but not if it's true. Right? Not if it's true. And the true God has made some incredible promises, and he is a promise-keeping God. Look at our passage, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no whoops, no wind, made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, last week, if you remember, the warning passage in Hebrews chapter 6 might have led some to be a little insecure, Uh, but does my security depend on me? If it does, I'm sunk. You must have real faith, that's what we talked about last week, but it is faith in God. Our salvation is entirely of God, not us. We start the journey with surrender, and that's what we're going to see in baptism. But he takes care of the rest, and he promises. God is a promise-keeping God. In verses 13-13. Through 15, we see that God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. Now, God's promise to Abraham, I'd love to spend some time, and this is the part that I'm cutting out, okay? I'd love to spend some time on his promise in Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22. And in there, we see his promise to his physical seed, the Israelites, and a promise of land and so forth, but also a promise to his spiritual seed, uh, the promise, which is the promise of salvation, and we see that in Galatians chapter three, verses twenty-seven through twenty-nine. I'm going to read that. Galatians chapter three. I have to do all this one-handed. I'm not used to holding a microphone. Galatians three, verse twenty-seven. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Now, those of you getting baptized, this is a special verse here, okay? Those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. This is the promise, and it is a reference to salvation, this great and glorious promise. In fact, our passage in Hebrews is quoting in verse 14, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. That comes from Genesis 22, where at the where this is after uh, Abraham is called uh, to sacrifice His one and only son. God stops him at the very last minute, but of course, this is a type, this is a picture of God the Father offering the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins we deserve to pay. And God did not stop him in that regard, but Jesus' death on the cross is what brought us this salvation and this incredible promise now the promise of salvation and all that that entails because salvation that means that's God's promise that he's going to watch over us that he's going to protect us he's going to provide for us he's going to take care of us through this life in the difficulties and hardships that we have to face but then also in the end bring us into eternity to spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever That's this incredible promise that he says uh, he makes with his people. Now, back in our passage in Hebrews chapter 6, we do want to notice, though, that it says in verse 15, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. After waiting patiently, he doesn't just give us a bunch of stuff. And kind of like what we do typically with our kids sometimes, you know, just pour out lots of stuff on them and stuff. Okay, he waited patiently. Now, here's the question. Do you trust God? A great verse that talks about this is Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Allow me to read that. David also had to wait patiently, went through a lot of stuff very difficult and hard times. And this is what it says in Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure." He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. And notice here, he waited patiently for the Lord. He didn't demand anything, but he knew his God would see him through. And God did come through, got him out of that pit, put his feet on the rock. And gave him that security, but he didn't stop there. He put a new song in his heart, a hymn of praise to God, the joy of the Lord. And then, not even stopping there, many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. People were changed. Lives were changed. People were saved because of waiting patiently for the Lord. He will come through, but we want to learn this lesson from Abraham After waiting patiently, it says, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, he goes on and talks about this promise in verses 16 through 18, and we see that the promise is unchangeable. In verse 16, it says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute, Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. So he says here twice, these unchangeable, the unchangeable purpose, the two unchangeable things. Now you're wondering, what is he talking about? What two things? His oath and his promise are the two unchangeable things. But they're unchangeable. Amatathetas is the Greek word. Uh, Metathesis metathesis is... Uh, We get metathesized, those kinds of words, which mean change, right? Things change from one form to another. Well, this says ah, meaning it's unchangeable. It will not change. God's promise is unchangeable. It's unchangeable because of his oath, is what it says. He didn't have anyone greater to, to take the oath on, so he swore by himself, because he's the greatest being, okay? But he took an oath uh, in this regard. And that brings up a question, doesn't it? Can we take oaths? Jesus, uh, it seemed to say, that we weren't supposed to take oaths, Matthew five thirty four. So how are we to understand this? Well, here we see God is taking an oath, in this passage, we see Jesus actually took an oath in Matthew 26, 63. We see Paul takes an oath in Romans 1, verse 9. Angels take an oath in Revelation 10, verses 5 through 6. We take oaths in weddings. I was just at a wedding last night. It was beautiful. Boy, was that a nice wedding. And, uh, but there were oaths given. And, uh, and so are we or are we not? When Jesus said, don't take an oath, He was referring to the integrity of speech. Some thought it was okay to stretch the truth if an oath wasn't involved. And so he was correcting that. He's not abolishing all oath-taking. The context is important in this passage. But it does need to be serious. And here we see God is very serious. He takes an oath so that we can know his promise is absolutely secure. And it's also unchangeable because of his character. It says specifically here that, for it is impossible for God to lie. That's his character. It's impossible for God to lie. Now, if you've ever read the Koran... The Quran actually says that Allah, that's the God of Muslims, that Allah is the chief of all deceivers. It says that three different times in the Quran, the chief of all deceivers. Allah is not the same God as the God of the Bible. Our God here says it is impossible for God to lie. Now, some have also, usually philosophers, question, well, does that mean God's law is above God? Or is God's law just God's law because whatever he decides, that's what God's law is. And so he could just, he could say it's okay to murder or whatever, you know. Is it above him or is it beneath him? They make the mistake of not understanding. It's neither. His law is a part of his character. It's who he is. He's a truth-speaking, promise-keeping God. And that's who he is. Now we are fickle. Humans are always trying to replace God, making themselves king, but we are fickle kings, undependable. Our lives become a ruin unless they rest upon his promises. Now, our passage finishes in verses 18 through 20, speaking of how God's promise is an anchor to the soul. An anchor to the soul, okay? God's promise is an anchor. Now, this is a big anchor here, and it works, right? Jim, you you assured me. It works, okay? Okay. But God's anchor is much better even than that, right? It says here, look back at the passage. It says... We, uh, I'm starting in in the middle of verse 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of of Melchizedek God's promise is an anchor of the soul in uh, a T. Robertson's word pictures he uh, brings up this this Greek word he says the ancient anchors were much like the modern ones with iron hooks to grapple the rocks and so hold on to prevent shipwreck Jim you ever been in a shipwreck okay because you've got a good anchor Well, let me ask you this question. What is your anchor? What is your security? Is it wealth? Financial acumen? Is it health? A regimen of nutrition and exercise. Is it relationships? An ability to make friends and influence people. Is it appearance? making sure you're sharp. None of this is bad. Much of it is based on wisdom. But if your anchor, if it's your anchor, it will fail you. You can lose your money. You can lose your health. You can lose your friends. You are going to get old. The only safe anchor is Jesus. Now, when he says it is an anchor to our soul, we need to pay careful attention. And that's why I went back and read the last part of verse 18. It says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. It only applies to those who take refuge in him. And this is a theme throughout the Bible, this idea that God is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our strong tower. He is our rock. We, but here we see those who have fled for refuge to him. Psalm 36, 5 through 9 is one example of many that we could turn to that brings out this idea of God's faithfulness as a, our refuge. Psalm 36, verse 5 says, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgments like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. The refreshing streams, the abundance that were filled from the abundance of his house. Does that sound good? Okay. This is how priceless his faithful love is and so forth. But look at it. It says for people who take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And so it only applies to those who take refuge in him. In Warren Wiersbe's commentary on this passage, he says the phrase, Fled for refuge suggests the Old Testament cities of refuge, described in Numbers 35 and Joshua 20. God appointed six cities, three on each side of the Jordan, into which a man could flee if he had accidentally killed someone. The elders of the city would investigate the case. If they determined that it was indeed manslaughter, not murder, they would permit the man to live in the city until the death of the high priest. Then he could return to his home. The members of the slain man's family could not avenge themselves so long as the man remained in the city. We have fled to Jesus Christ, and he is our eternal refuge. As our high priest, he will never die, and we have eternal salvation. No avenger can touch us because he has already died and arisen from the dead. And so we flee to him. As our refuge, it's kind of like those guys, you ever see them where they, they fall back into a crowd and the crowd catches them, right? Don't they do that in youth groups and stuff sometimes, right? But sometimes you, you, they drop you? No? Okay. Well, you know, people could do that, but God will see us through, right? He will help us through in this life. I was remind, As I was putting this message together, I remembered a time when my wife and I was in... I was in seminary, we had just gotten married, and she moved to New Orleans, which is where I went to seminary, and, uh, and she uh, had gotten a job, but wasn't going to get paid for a week or so, and we needed $200 by Monday, so Sunday, we went to church, and, uh, and in church... The pastor actually had a word. He said, I I sense there's somebody in the congregation who's going through struggles financially. After the church service, come up and receive prayer if that's you. Well, my wife and I were in the car, we're driving home, and she says to me, Don't you think that message was for us, that word? I said, Yeah. She said, Then why didn't you go up and get prayer? I said, Because of my pride. I said, okay, you know, we had an evening service as well. I said, we'll go a little early and I'll tell the pastor that I... I blew it, okay? Because of my pride. So we got there and I shared that with him and he said, "Okay, well how much do you need?" And I said, "We need $200 by tomorrow for our rent." And he said, "Well, let's pray." He said a very simple prayer, you know, "Lord, bless him uh, to provide for $200 uh, for by tomorrow for his rent." And that was it, you know, simple prayer and and uh, then he said, "Now let me know when God answers the prayer, okay?" I mean, like almost as soon as he was finished, a lady walks up to us and she says, Larry, Elizabeth, I meant to get this to you this morning because the Lord put this on my heart. But I got sidetracked and she handed us an envelope and there was one hundred dollars in the in the envelope. (laughs) I know how she why she got sidetracked because of my pride, right? Okay, so, so there was 100 bucks. I told the pastor, I said, hey, we already got $100. He says, great. Well, the next morning, we went to the mail. Our mail came in the morning, and we went to the mail, and there was a, uh, an envelope from a fellow student of mine who did not know that we were hurting financially or anything, and he also just said he felt led by God to, to give this, and it was $100 in the envelope. Now, God does not always do that kind of miraculous thing. Sometimes he works through with us through the hard times and helps us through. But whatever it is, he does come through. We don't want to turn God into like this grand puppet up in the sky that if you pull the right strings, you have the right faith, he has to come through. God is God, and he's not going to do that. He's not going to play your silly games, okay? But he does promise To take care of us. And he does see us through. He is a promise keeping God. If you run to him. As a refuge. Now our passage. We also see that this anchor. Is based on the atonement. In chapter 6 it says. Firm and secure it enters the inner. Oh I'm, I'm sorry we have this. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So as this anchor of the soul, it says here that Jesus entered into, this is really getting in my way. Uh, Okay, there we go. That he enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So we see that this anchor comes because of what Christ did for us. The picture here is clearly in the Old Testament. They had the tabernacle first and then the temple after that. But there was this place called the Holy of Holies that God's presence resided in. But only the high priest could go there and only once a year. The regular priest would go into the holy place and they'd offer incense and sacrifices. But... Only the high priest could go into the very presence of God and only once a year offering sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people for that year. But Jesus is saying that he entered behind the curtain, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that he entered as our forerunner once for all. We'll see that as we go through the book of Hebrews, that his death on the cross was once for all that brought about our complete forgiveness so that we could go into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. The hope behind the curtain that we, he went as our forerunner. William Barclay in his commentary says the writer to the Hebrews uses a most illuminating word about Jesus. He says that he entered the presence of God as our forerunner. The word is prodramas. It has three stages of meaning. It means one who rushes on. It means a pioneer. And it means a scout who goes ahead to see that it is safe for the body of the troops to follow. Jesus went into the presence of God to make it safe for all people to follow. He is our anchor. Let me finish with George Guthrie. He quotes... Jack Hayford, who says this. We live in an instant credit, get-everything-now economy. We eat, add water, and mix foods or drive-by fast food outlets which poke our palates with immediate delicacies ranging from burgers and burritos to fried chicken and fish and chips. All of this trains us to want what we want now on the basis of something that requires little or nothing of us. We don't grow trees in our yards. We buy them potted and several years advanced in their growth or move to another house where they're already grown. Waiting is not in style and patience has never been a forte of the flesh. If God weren't growing sons and daughters, things would not take nearly as long. But since he is more interested in our growth than he is in our getting, waiting becomes a very essential and useful means toward that end. He doesn't traffic in add water and mix saints. So we wait patiently. But our God is a promise-keeping God. That's the one we trust in. Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have gotten soft because we do have so much just uh, available right now. We don't see the value of patience and waiting. Many people complain and they wonder, why, if you're an all-powerful God, have you not wiped out evil yet? And we know from your word that it's because you're waiting patiently to give everyone an opportunity take refuge in you before it's too late and so we seek you now we confess our impatience and ask you to forgive us but we renew our trust in you this morning you are a promise keeping God a faithful God your promises we rest in them for they are secure like an anchor. You are faithful. Help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.